Readings from Jude, uh, verses 3 through 7. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you allow us as a church to gather, as people that love you and desire to come under your authority and under your word. Father, we pray that that would occur this morning as we learn and study from your word, that we would apply it to the way we live and in our attitudes. Father, we ask that you would correct us as you desire by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. Thank you for uh, behaving yourselves while Luke was here last week, because he's coming back this weekend. And so uh, to, to fill in to preach while I am gone on the bike trip. Um, uh, so thank you for praying for him while he was here, and uh, praying for him to prepare as he brings the Word of God. Um, that's, that's one thing, as we go through the book of Jude, um, right now we're planning, after we're done with Jude, sometime in September, we're going to start 1 Corinthians um, and uh, if you, as we've gone through the book of Jude, just the first couple of, of messages that we've had in it, uh, we begin to see, and we'll see this when we get to 1 Corinthians, man, there's just hard passages. Not necessarily hard passages to believe or uh, to hear and to understand, but more so difficult in its message. That uh, especially when it comes to our culture today, uh, with specifically sensuality and sexual immorality, uh, it's, it's not a, uh, a topic that we shouldn't talk about anymore. It's a topic that we should embrace and that we should celebrate all kinds of sexual immorality. But that's not what Scripture says. And so as we're dealing and we're wrestling with these passages, uh, it's important for us to remember that as a church, you know, why are we going through this? Why are we doing this? Well, Ever since I've come, eight and a half years ago, we take a book of the Bible and we work right through it. Uh, we might do topical things every once in a while. Uh, we did the Apostles' Creed uh, a few summers ago. But really what we've done most of the time is we've taken a passage or a book of the Bible and we've worked through it verse by verse. And the reason we do that is because we want to know what God has to say. 
And all too often, we skip those hard verses to understand, those hard passages to understand, or the hard passages to hear. And God has it there for a reason. And we need to submit ourselves underneath the Word of God and what He says about these topics here specifically in Jude, the difficult, the difficult passages of, hey, you need to watch out for those people who sneak in to the church and they start to teach false teachings, especially when it comes to sensuality. That's why we're only going to look at verses 5 through 7 today, but I wanted Albert to read 3 and 4 because he talks about perverting the gospel into sensuality. It's perverting the grace of Jesus Christ, saying, you know what, the grace of Jesus Christ is so strong, he can forgive anything, which is true, but then perverting that and saying, well, then you can live and do whatever you want because God loves you and he's going to forgive you for it. So go ahead, have as many affairs that you want. Go ahead and live that homosexual lifestyle. God doesn't care. And what Jude is saying is, no, God does care. And so as his people today, we need to care as God cares. And we need to understand what does he teach? What is he trying to say? And so that's why we work through scripture. And we we say, what does it say? What is God teaching us? And then as God's people, we're going to strive to submit ourselves underneath that scripture and say, okay, well, how, how do we live this out? No matter what the culture says around us about these things, we need to see what does our God and Savior, our Lord, say to us. And so that's why we submit underneath that. And it's good for us to remember because it can be overwhelming to live in this, in this culture uh, that promotes sexual immorality and stands underneath it and celebrates it and looks down upon those who don't. And so we get strength together as we gather and we hear the word, but as we listen to the word, as we hear the word and we say, you know, God says this and my loyalties belong to God, not to myself, not to Elm Creek, not to the culture, but to God. So what does he say? So that's, that's why we're we do this. It's a good reminder for us to remember that when we preach and we work through, when we do Bible studies at the different ministries, what does God say in His Word? So today, today it's really about remembering, which I didn't plan this out, but it works perfect with the community table, so we'll, we'll get there eventually by the end. But the real focus is history. Now, I have asked this question before, so I'm not going to ask it again, but I know there's some of you out there who despise history, like just general. You just don't like talking about it because it's boring. But the reality is, is that if we don't understand history, whether it comes to the history of our country or the history of our families or the history of our own lives, and we want to forget those things and we don't want to remember those things, we're bound to repeat the same thing over and over again. We're bound to make the same mistakes. You see that throughout all of history. Um, one of the, if you want to really bring it down, how many of you have seen the movie The Incredibles? Yeah, it's a pretty good movie, right? I feel confident in promoting The Incredibles from the front. I don't normally do that because it's a hit and miss when it comes to movies. But do you remember a scene in The Incredibles? Mr. Incredible, he wants a new super suit. And so he goes to visit the designer, and kids, what's her, what's her name? Edna. Edna, there we go. Edna Mode. It's, I thought it was Mold. It's Mode, M-O-D-E. I was corrected by one of my kids today. 
It's Edna Mould. And he suggests to her to add a cape. But Edna refuses. And he says, well, isn't that my decision? She says, do you remember Thunderhead? Tall, storm powers, nice man, good with kids. November 15th of 58, all was well. Another day saved when his cape snagged on a missile fin. Straddle girl, April 23rd of 57, cape caught in a jet turbine. Metal man, express elevator, Dyna guy, snagged off of takeoff. Splashed down, sucked into a vortex. No capes. And it's a funny scene. But what's her point? Capes may look classic and they may look really good on a superhero, but they're also extremely dangerous. So learn from the mistakes of others, learn from the past. I'm not going to put a cape on your supersuit because history forgotten is a history that is bound to be repeated. Jude begins verse 5 with this statement. He says, now I want to remind you, though you once fully knew it, And what follows are three examples that he reminds them of. In the previous verses, he's implored them, contend for the faith, fight for the true gospel against ungodly teachers who are perverting the grace of Christ. Why should the church contend for the faith? Because ungodliness brings forth God's judgment. And to show that this truth isn't something that he made up on his own. He gives these examples, these three examples. Israel, fallen angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, our goal this morning is to focus on these examples, what they are, how they help us to define ungodliness, and how we are called to respond as a church. So, Jude's first example is Israel during the time of the Exodus. God's people had been enslaved for hundreds of years and cried out to the Lord, deliver us, deliver us from this slavery, which he brings, that deliverance, in the person of Moses. And through Moses, God saves his people, bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now, if you read this, it says, and that Jesus, Jude says that Jesus is the one who brought them out. And there's a lot that's there that we can't touch on. Uh, But just as a side note, some early manuscripts say Jesus, and some say Lord. Uh, The editors of the ESV stuck with Jesus. Um, And there's a debate between the two, which one is it? But the point is the same, whether it's Jesus or Lord. God is the one who saved his people out of the land of Egypt. He did a great and mighty thing. He answered their prayer. He answered their request. And he delivered them from slavery. But when the people arrived in the promised land and they spied it out, they listened to the ten spies who gave a negative report and they ignored Joshua and Caleb's positive report. And because of this, the Lord causes them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation died. Or as Jude says, until they were destroyed by God. It gives a little different twist and understanding on what wandering in the wilderness was really about. Now Jude's second example is about the fallen angels, who, he says, did not stay within their own authority, position of authority, 
but left their proper dwelling. And when this happened, and what the circumstances were behind their fall, those are all secondary to Jude's true focus. Because we, again, we could dwell on this, and when, is this, when did this happen, and how did it happen? God, though, had given these angels a specific authority and a specific place in the heavenly court, but these angels were not satisfied. They wanted more. And the consequences for their actions was for God to keep them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the Lord. Their imprisonment is for all eternity, away from the grace and mercy of God. That is, that's the gloomy darkness, away from the grace and mercy of God. But that's not the worst of it. There will become a point where they will stand before God and receive His final judgment for their actions before He sends them back into the gloomy darkness. And Jude's third example comes from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. According to Genesis 19.24, these cities were so full of wickedness and wicked people that he destroyed them and all within them with sulfur and fire from heaven. Now, Jude describes them as cities which indulged in sexual immorality, that is, any sexual conduct out of step with God's commands and desires, and they pursued unnatural desire, that is, homosexual desires that go against God's created order and his purpose of a husband and wife to fill the earth and subdue it. And because of this, they underwent a punishment of eternal fire, which goes well beyond just their earthly destruction. It points to an eternal punishment in the fires of hell. This is serious stuff that we can't just read over and go, ah, yeah, I really don't like that. No, that's not really, I mean, what, is it eternal fire? Is this really what happens? Well, that's why we need to study this. This is what God says. So we got to wrestle with this. What are these examples intended to teach us as the church? Well, he's going to eventually, Jude is eventually going to speak directly about the false teachers within the church but these examples have one real main purpose. They define ungodliness by God's standards, not ours. It defines ungodliness by His standards and not our own. The Israelites who were destroyed by God in the wilderness were destroyed because of unbelief. Hebrews three seventeen through 19, this is what the author of Hebrews says, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so the Israelites, this generation, they did not believe that God would do as he promised. Ten spies reported that the land was indeed good, but that the, the people were strong and they were tall. And if we went out to fight, fight them, we would lose and a lot of us would be killed. It's never going to happen. We're going to be defeated. Oh, let's just go back to Egypt. And this contradicted God's clear promise. He was going to give them the land. He says that in, in Numbers 13, 1. 
God is the one who gives them the land. They're not going to go in and fight for it. He's going to give it to them and fight for them. So in other words, this generation did not believe God. And so that's one characteristic of ungodliness. Unbelief in the promises and the character of God. God really isn't who he says he is, and he doesn't really want to have happen what he says he wants to have happen. The second example, the angels, they rebelled against God's design for them, the authority he gave them and the place where he put them. And their rebellion led to eternal imprisonment and future judgment. Specifically, it seems to be referencing Christ's final judgment of all creation when he comes at his second coming. And so another characteristic of, of, characteristic of ungodliness is rebellion against God's plan and decree. So there's unbelief that God is going to do what he says and, and wants done what he wants done, and a rebellion against God's plan and his decrees. And then we come to Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. They indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires. To indulge is to yield to, to satisfy, or to gratify. I, I hate to say it, everybody thinks about pastries, Panera. Like, ah, I'm going to indulge in a muffin today. It's giving in to that desire, even though you know it's not good for you. I'll fight you on that one, but believe me, I want to indulge in that. Is that, that gives us an understanding. We want to gratify the desire to have a Panera. Well, in this case, for Sodom and Gomorrah, the people of these cities yielded to and gratified their own sexual desires. And to use Jude's language of verse 4, to pervert the desires and the commands of God. And their self-indulgence led to a punishment of eternal fire. So the last characteristic of, characteristic of ungodliness given to us by Jude is self-indulgence instead of self-control and abstinence. A wholehearted and willing self-fulfillment of one's desires, especially sexual desires. So am I saying it's sinful to take extra Panera? Maybe. Where's your heart? But specifically, he's saying those sexual desires to just allow you to do whatever you want, just fulfill whatever desire you have, just make it happen. No matter what. Because it's good. Because you desire it. Now, it needs to be said that Jude, again, is not speaking of just sin in general. There's a major difference between a believer who recognizes and acknowledges their sin in order to fight against that sin, and an unbeliever who actively, blatantly, and unashamedly continues to rebel against God in order to indulge in the fulfillment of their own desires and to do everything in their power to lead others down that same path of destruction. Those are two very different people. The first is godly, because even as believers... We have to fight sin in our own hearts. We're not perfect. We're forgiven. God has given us grace, but man, sanctification stinks because what he does is he exposes that sin and the believer says, I, I, I gotta work on this. I gotta fight this. And it turns to fellow believers to help me, keep me accountable to this, hold me to this. I wanna do what God desires and it's wrong. And I, I wanna do this and I'm falling prey to this and I fall into this, but, but help me with that. That's, 
That's godliness saying, I want to obey my king even though it's hard. Ungodliness is saying, I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm going to bring people with me so that they can celebrate it with me. Yeah, I, I hear that God says this is wrong. I don't really care because he's going to forgive me anyway. That's ungodly. And so what does this teach us as the church today? When the answer is found at the beginning of verse 5. Now I want to remind you. Believers are to remember. Remember the examples of the real historical lives and episodes of those that we find in Scripture. These pages, these pages are filled They're filled with examples of the godly, such as Noah, Abraham, Moses, Peter, David, and Paul, and so many more. Very imperfect people, but godly nonetheless. Lives of people who strove to be faithful, those who contended for the faith to fight for the sin in the, against the sin in their own hearts, to put their trust in the Lord, to love and to submit to his, uh, his commands, to let go of their own desires and to submit themselves under his desires. But there are also many examples of the ungodly. Cain, Ishmael, Sodom and Gomorrah, Balaam, you don't know about Balaam, you should read his story. Interesting conversation with his donkey. Really weird, but it's there. Saul, King Saul, Eli, the high priest, the Pharisees, Judas, Ananias, and Sapphira in the New Testament. Lives of people who did not believe God, who rebelled against God, who indulged in their own selfish desires. They sought to be liked by the world around them or the people around them instead of submitting themselves to their Lord and Savior instead of submitting themselves to God. And so one way to remember is to continually read about them. Jude obviously told the church that he was writing to, all of these stories, you know these stories. I have to remind you of the gospel message and really what it is. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. You submit yourself underneath the grace of God and you strive to change your your life in obedience in, in God and don't indulge in all of these sexual immorality that these false teachers are saying, go ahead, do whatever you want. That is not the gospel I taught you, he says. And so I need to remind you of this. And then I need to remind you of These three examples, what happens when you disobey God? What happens when you walk away from the truth, when you don't submit yourself underneath His authority and His Word? And so as God's people today, we need to pick up this book and remember. Remember the examples that He gives us, that He shows us. And so we need to consistently open His Word I said at the beginning, that's why we work through the Bible. I could give you my opinion, but that means you are then reliant upon me for your salvation and heaven help you. 
because just talk to my wife and kids and they'll tell you all the issues that I have. Well, no, don't tell them all the issues I have. But we all have them, do we not? If you're reliant upon people, if you're reliant upon Elm Creek, if you're reliant upon me to tell you the truth in this, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for that, that you want to get that. We want to give that to you and teach you and train you, but pick up the word yourself and say, is this really what Mark, Mark said this, is this really what God's word says? In other words, as my dad used to say growing up when he was my pastor, he said, don't take my word for it. Look for yourself. Is that really what God says? And study it. Think about it. Come to church and hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. Be taught and corrected by the word of God. Hear the examples of the past. <coughs> we need to hear of the grace of Christ. We need to hear of his saving and redeeming work upon the cross for those who believe in him. And that, that's not my words. This is Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so that means initial faith. How do you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, what does Jesus say about himself? What does God reveal about himself in these pages? And what is salvation? But also if you're a believer, if we are saved by the word of God and then we put it down and it gains, great, gains dust on it and we walk away and we say, I'm good because I've got my fire insurance, I'm all saved. I don't need to even worry about the rest of that. God's got it all taken care of. That's not what he says. Why do we come every single Sunday? Why do we not forsake the meeting of the saints? We do it because we need to hear the word of God over and over again. To hear it and remember it. Because let's be honest, life is hard, is it not? Being faithful to God as a believer is hard. I don't care what generation you're from. A thousand years ago, it was difficult being a Christian. If we think we've cut the corner on being, trying to live out faithfulness and it's hard, well, there's no lions eating us, so we're a little bit down the ladder. But still, as Christians, we need to pick this up. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just at Bible studies, not on a regular basis at home and and reading through the Bible or reading through a book, even if it's a verse at a time or a few verses at a time. But we need to open up that book and say, what does God say? What is he reminding me of? Who am I? This is hard to live this way, God. And God says, yeah, I know. But you've got to remember, you belong to me. And you need to look to me. And you, need to, you don't need to worry about the world around you and what they think about you. In fact, you want to know what I say about the world? The world's going to hate you because the world hates me. But fear not, I have overcome the world. Our identity as God's people is in Christ. And so what does he say? Be reminded reminded of those who, despite their sin, despite their hardships, they stayed faithful. And if they can do it, we can do it. Do you know why? Not because we're better, but because they have the same Holy Spirit that we have today. God does not change. If you are a believer, the Spirit is within you. He is empowering you to be faithful to Him. It's the same Spirit that filled Moses. It's the same Spirit that filled David. I feel to Abraham, it's the same God. 
He is with us today. And so our strength is not found in us. And yet as humans, we need to be reminded, oh, you're right, God. You will take care of it. You will guide us no matter what may happen. May I continue to study your word, to hear the word of God, to have my faith continue to grow. And so Jude is urging and appealing for the church to contend for the faith, to fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is as revealed in his word. And one way to do this, again, is to remember the truth of God. Remember our history, the lives of the faithful and unfaithful that have been handed down to us. Remember, learn, and understand in order to recon, uh, recognize that ungod- the ungodly, if they have crept into the church, remember, because those who forget are bound to repeat the history of the ungodly that came before us, whose end is judgment in the hands of an angry God. But for those who believe, who believe in Christ as a Savior, we need to remember that but for the grace of God, so go I. But for the grace of God, we too would all remain ungodly, destined to face His judgment. And Christ then says, remember, remember what I did for you. This is why we do communion. Every three weeks, we sit down and we remember, but for Christ's willing sacrifice to die for our sins, but for his offering himself as the perfect and sinless sacrifice in our stead, but for him, None of us, no one in this room would know the deep and wonderful love of God. With Christ, our future is not filled with eternal destruction, judgment, and punishment. It is filled with eternal joy, love, and life. And so as we take communion, As we grab the cup, grab the bread, we all sit down together. We do it as a family together. We take it all at once. We as God's people are to remember what Christ did for us. Remember the faithfulness of those who came before us, both in Scripture or if they're in your own family. Remember your grandparents. Remember your parents. Remember aunts and uncles who faithfully followed God. Remember Christ. Remember the salvation through Him. And find encouragement in that so that then as God's people we can fight for the grace of Jesus Christ no matter what comes, no matter what we face. Because our strength is found in Him. So when you're ready, grab a cup, grab the bread, Come and sit down. I will come up. We will do it together, take communion together, and remember together what Christ did and find encouragement while you're waiting for other people. It's a long line. As you're sitting there, think through what, who is Christ? What has he done for me? How have I grown in, in faith in him? Father, remind me. Remind me that I am yours and that my strength is found in you because, man, it is hard right now, God. It is hard to fight for the faith, but I can do it with you.
I can do it with you in me. And so if you're a believer, you're more than welcome to join us. You don't have to be a member of the church. We do open communion here, but what we do ask is if you're not a believer or if you are unsure or if you have sin in your life that you need to confess to God, we ask that you take care of that sin first and then come. Confess that. Repent that uh, before God. Lay it before His feet. He's, He's forgiven it, but you need to give it to Him. Lay it down at His feet. Come and join us. But if you're an unbeliever, you, this doesn't make any sense. This is a serious ceremony for us, for us to remember what Christ did. And if you're not saved, you don't know what Christ did. And so you can't remember. But my hope is that while you're sitting there, that God would convict your heart and soften you so that you might believe that eternal life is found only in Christ and in nothing, nothing else. So when you are ready, make your way to the table, and then we'll come together and celebrate and remember.